The Story in Your Head, Episode 21, The Fifth Industrial Revolution, with John Perigene. Welcome to The Story in Your Head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today we're joined by special guest John Perigene to talk about the Fifth Industrial Revolution, both what it is and how you can use it to start living a more passionate, fulfilling life. John details how he used the lessons from Macklin Connection in conjunction with the revolution to change his own life for the better. Welcome to the podcast, The Story in Your Head. Today we have a guest, John Perigene. So Michelle and I will be having a conversation and John, you kind of, you have an interesting career and an even more interesting path of how you got to that career. Maybe you could just briefly introduce you to our listeners. So, yeah. So I've had a couple careers, I think, but they, you know, when you look at your life, I'm, I'm 51 now. So when you look back in your life that everything just kind of coincides that everything was meant to be at the certain time in your, in my life. So I'd started out back in college and even prior to that to be a musician. So I played in the symphony for 26 years in the middle of that. Also, I had a, I got a degree in psychology and was a social worker for about 13, 14 years. And so after doing the social work for a number of years, I was like, I'm, I'm done. I, I did my time. And I really always wanted to write. So I've been writing since I was a little kid. I was a latchkey kid, so I spent my summers and any other time in the library because there was a library a couple of miles away, and I'd ride my bike and spend just hours and hours going through all the books. So I always imagined myself to be an author or be a writer. And so I, you know, I quit my job as a, as a social worker in 2007, which was the perfect year to end a full-time job and, you know, watch my 401k take a hit. And so I started writing and I started out by writing books for small businesses. I think my first book was on team building activities. And I just started writing, you know, and continued to, to, to write. And then I had the opportunity to begin kind of another path, which was journalism, and began writing for New York Times, for Reuters, Bloomberg, and a bunch of others, and writing magazines and, you know, periodical kind of articles. Then I decided I was tired of writing after, I think it was about 12, 13 books that I always had the question from people is, which is, how do you write? You know, how do you, how are you doing this? And, you know, I've always wanted to write a book, you know, I've been working on it for 10 years, never could get it done. So I started helping people and that's kind of how I got into the ghostwriting, which is kind of what my main, main thing is now. I still do some of the journalism. I'm still writing my own books, but my main, you know, I, I guess occupation is a ghostwriter. And for me, that's kind of the culmination of, you know, when I'm saying that everything else was relative to what I'm doing now as a, as a musician, I was always creative, right? So I always had that, that mindset of creativity, which I bring into what I do, you know, writing stories, creating worlds, creating experiences. So I, so, you know, I kind of brought that along with me. And then from the social work aspect, I was used to interviewing people and getting into their lives and getting into their, into their head a little bit to try to, you know, come up with solutions to whatever, you know, things that they were facing as a family. 
So I kind of bring that in and, you know, sort of that interviewing and getting into people's stories and then kind of melding the two. So a lot of the books that I write are for, you know, for entrepreneurs or, or business owners or CEOs of writing their stories. And, you know, I thought about, I thought about, you know, this interview, you know, and we were talking about the, the new industrial revolution and how that's kind of changed what I, you know, kind of my perspective on things, which is, you know, we live in a world of data now. You know, data's king, right? Data's the, the big thing that we, you know, it's different than any other industrial revolution. But with data, from my perspective, it's about stories, right? So we can take all this information and we try to connect to people and we connect with people through stories and finding out what stories, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of connecting what our story is with their story, which is kind of right along, you know, with the Macklin method. So, you know, I, I think about that in, in kind of where, businesses and stuff are going. And, you know, a lot of it is, you know, people figuring out their stories and people connecting to other people's stories and figuring out what their stories are. So it's right, you know, right in line with what I do, which is what I've been doing for a while, which is picking up on those stories and then creating it in a way that people can access it, you know, whether it's through an ad or whether it's through a white paper or a book or whatever it is is that people are looking to connect to other people now because we're, again, in that data-driven world, we have so many choices. We're overwhelmed with choices of, do we pick this person? Do we pick this product? But boy, when there's a, when there's a story behind it, and I have a perfect example right here. So I got this pen. <laughs> and this pen, I went to Renaissance Festival this past weekend, and I went into this one guy's booth right and so he had all these different pens and i love pens so this particular pen he started to tell me that he, it's hard to see see on this but there's there's lots of kind of clockwork so you know this was a jules verne inspired pen you know and so i was like well that's really cool that's you know i love jules verne and and then the other part was this this barrel is made out of what they call bog oak and bog oak and he tells me this whole story he even has a card with this whole story about what a bog oak is, which is this oak that's found in bogs in one place in England, and then they're able to use this. But he says, you know, it, it goes into the color and stuff. And I was like, man, you're sold. I'm sold. I love the pen, but it's a story that that made me want to purchase it, right? Because he had this whole story, and I was like, that's great. Now I have a pen that has a story to it. And so I think a lot of people are attracted to that that sort of idea that there's stories behind things, you know. And I think that goes to you know, businesses, brands and things like that. There's a story, you know, what, what is the story behind it? So I know I'm talking a lot and you all have asked me one question, but I've been thinking about it, right? So I've been thinking about kind of where we are now and, and how, how important stories are more than ever in people getting their stories and people, you know, what, what's our face out there? You know, what's our, what's our image? There's a show that just came out called Alter Ego which is like the next revolution and, and kind of like, you know, a singing show. And in Alter Ego, people are using technology now to create this avatar of themselves to sing for a panel. You know, it's kind of like American Idol, but it's like this whole electronic Alter Ego that's not them, but it's what they want want to be represented as in this. In this. So it's not just the singing that they're able to do, but it's this whole image that they're creating. And I think that businesses and stuff think about that avatar, you know, what is it that we're representing to, to people out there? So 
John, part of what we hold, and thank you for, for the story, part of what we hold is the, the fifth industrial revolution is being able to notice what the other person's story is as well. Like you have your own story, but if you want to connect with somebody, you have to be able to notice their story. And you occur as being able to notice other people's stories and help them put it into a story like a book that other people can find accessible. So when you, when you look at the future skills that will be needed to be able to thrive inside of a fifth industrial revolution, which will, will not have people telling you what to do, like nobody's going to be telling you what to do in the future. You're going to be creating it on your own. Like what, what coaching or what advice would you offer to our listeners around how do you learn about somebody else's story and be able to hold it without like upsetting them or ticking them off or twisting it in some way? How do you do that? I think, and you know me, I'm a little bit probably too direct sometimes is, you know, basically shut up and listen. You know, I, I think that's the biggest thing is we're so caught up in our own, you know, our own image and our own story. We're always wanting to just wait for that moment of silence so we can just tell them what we're thinking. And so we've just shut ourselves off from really listening to what they're saying. And I, and I think that idea has been around a while, but I think it's even more important now is how do we notice things? Well, we have to be present in what they're saying. We have to be present in, you know, their world at that moment. And sometimes that's hard because we, we feel like, I think one of the, you know, there's many beautiful things about the fifth industrial revolution, but there's some things that can be kind of a hindrance, which is this idea that we need information and data right now. We need to, we need to move things fast. And I think that we, we miss opportunities. So it's just kind of really slowing down and listening and, you know, and asking the right questions and, but just really listening to what the answer is rather than just holding a space in our head where we're just waiting for that, that moment. We can just tell them what we're thinking, right? Because we've missed so much. And sometimes we miss the mark in what we're saying and it doesn't make any sense because they've been telling this whole story or, 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 or sharing something, being vulnerable in that moment. We've missed a great opportunity to, to really get into, into that story. And I think that's done in, in many different ways. It's, it's not just the conversations we have, but it's also getting feedback from other people, right? So if we have a business and, and, and really taking the idea of the feedback from, from our customers and our consumers and really listening to that, right? Because there's there's an opportunity there too, is, which is tell me more or tell me more about that or you know it, and so expanding expanding that story and giving them the opportunity and the space to to talk to us, I think that's. But the biggest thing is just just slow everything down, you know. Don't, quit looking at that watch. Quit looking at trying to insert our expertise in that situation. Sometimes when we meet people for the first time, we want to just overwhelm them why they should hire us or, or whatever. And we've missed, we've missed an opportunity. And I think that in some ways turns people off. I get inundated with things on LinkedIn all the time, which is people introducing themselves in a sales call. Basically it's, I've noticed this about you, which uh, of course they haven't. And then they tell me all the things they're going to do for me. It's like, you don't know anything about me. You don't know my story. You don't know. So, you know, you've missed the, you've missed an opportunity for a connection. And I think it's just because we're just so pushed to get things so quickly when sometimes just waiting and listening is the best way to do it. 
you know, even in some of those emails and stuff, you know, I might even say, have you, you know, you're talking about, you can help me with a book or something that I'm doing. What is it that I do? You know, what, what is it that made you want to reach out to me? And a lot of times they have no idea and they usually go away, but sometimes they might say, well, I saw an article you wrote, or I saw a book that, you know, I read recently and those sorts of things. So then I can start having a conversation, but if it's just, I'm going to do all these things for you, then they don't know my story at all. And that, that for me, that's a turnoff, right? So they, they haven't taken the time to at least have some connection, something about that I can start connecting to and having a conversation about, if that makes sense. No, I, I love that. I used to work with a gentleman by the name of Ron Coates. And one of the things he used to say was the hurrier you go, the behinder you get. And I, for a long time I used it, but now I, I really have shifted it to, to the opposite, right? Where it says, slow down to speed up and to really be with the other person to, to understand, to listen to their story, to ask questions about it, be curious in that space where you begin to understand the beauty of the stories that they have and the space where there's maybe a new world of collaboration versus competition. Yes, I totally agree. So thank you for that. Michelle. Yeah. So thanks, John. I'm curious as an author, you've got a, a special challenge. And what I mean by that, and you brought me back to, I hired somebody, which people thought I was crazy when I was first hiring people. So I was hiring for technology and this guy had a dual degree and one of them was in music. I'm like, what the hell are you doing hiring a, a music person? And it was the best hire ever made. And one of the things that he did is he ran a seminar for us on how music tells a story. And what he did was just one clip on Cinderella where, you know, She's running away from the ball and drops her shoes on the steps, right? A short clip. And he went through the music and the story that it told. And I was like, I never got that, right? Not even close did I get what that person was trying to convey in music. I kind of got it. And so you've got this thing where you're working with an author as a ghostwriter, right? To understand their story and then write it in such a way that the next person can understand it. I have enough trouble one-on-one. -on -one. You're like one-on-many or I don't know, third person. I don't even know what to call that. How does that work so that you can convey that? It's interesting because music for me plays a big part in what I do. So writing has a rhythm to it. You know, it has a melody in my head and, and you know, it's not just the rhythm of the words, but it's the, it's the flow of the story. And so, you know, so for me as a ghostwriter, right? So I have to listen to other people's story. You know, I have to get the flow and how they say it and what they're saying or what they're trying to convey. And there's just many layers to that. But you're right. It's, you know, if I think about it neurologically, it all comes from the same place, whether I'm playing music or whether I'm writing, I still get in that same headspace of, you know, kind of that creative headspace. And I think that's great that you're hired a musician because they're great at two things. First of all, they're great at numbers because that's their entire thing, right? So math and numbers are usually pretty good, but they also have that creative way of looking at things, right? So they have a, because they're looking for the rhythm, they're looking for the, you know, how it all fits together. And so, so when I, you know, so when I work with people, I try to meet with them, right? So, cause I have to get their, their, their story, but it's also kind of their song in my head, right? So, you know, we all have these kind of earworms. Sometimes we hear a melody and we think of, you know, it reminds us of something. 
or something will remind us of a song and we'll start singing it. We wish somebody hadn't put that in our head. Well, for me, it's, you know, the people that I work with, it's the same way. So sometimes I'll even create, you know, playlists that I'll play so I can get kind of in that mindset because for me, it's connected personalities and music. So sometimes I'll play certain music that I, that I feel represents that person. Just so my mind is already doing that. So when I'm writing, I'm trying to write as them, which is, you know, it, it's its own challenge, right? So it's not just creating something that works and is digestible and all those sorts of things, but it's also writing it like I'm the other person writing it, right? So that's, that's even another layered challenge because if I don't get their, how they think or how they might say something that I've missed the bar. But again, I think because I have the music background, I think that helps me out a lot. So I'm able to ask the questions, but I'm also able to hear kind of that melody and, and what, what their answer is. And I'm able to transcribe that into to the written word. But when I read, it's interesting that one of the things that I do when I finish with a, Ron probably doesn't even know this, but I play it back. I, you know, one of the things that word has is the ability for it to read the words and I'll close my eyes and I'll listen to what it sounds like for the flow and all of those other things. But I think that comes back to the music is that I got to hear the words too, because it gives me a totally di different perspective than just reading them on the page, which is why I think people like audiobooks now, because it does give you a different experience than just reading. It could be the same exact words, but it's a totally different experience. I and mean, I think it's, again, using different parts of your brain and having, having that, you know, an auditory experience rather than a visual one. But I try to bring all that in in there. And that's what really helps is can I imagine that person, that voice? You know, that's 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 the whole thing in writing is what is their voice? And that's a hard thing to quantify is a voice in a particular thing. We can hear it, but it's hard to quantify something sometimes what that means. You know, if I say I'm capturing somebody's voice and I think it goes into the way they say it, the way they think the the next logical thing they might they might say. I think is really where the voice voice is. And, you know, we like certain voices, you know, in, in the things we read because we kind of get a sense of that person. Thanks, John. I can say you're, you're great at it. It's always fun to, after we've worked together and then I read something and I go, wow, that sounds like me. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is, it, in a way it is my creation, but it's also your creation. And we're dancing with this space, which is so fun to do right mm -hmm. and yeah just i love it shifting go back a little bit to the ir5 which is industrial revolution the fifth industrial revolution and which is self-directed teams and it, it's around connecting and everybody gets to contribute and inclusivity i noticed that you and kate have also created a publishing company so now you're a ghostwriter and a publishing company mm -hmm. and so now how does that work to where, like it used to be publishing companies were, you know, there was only what, like 10 of them and, and they dominated the world, right. the word that was written down and recorded. And now you and Kate are a publishing company. I think, yeah. And I think part of why we wanted to start it was we wanted to capture voices, I would say underrepresented voices, right? So in, in the big publishing companies, a lot of time it's the bottom dollar. It's, it's a very transactional type of thing where they're like, okay, so I have this product, which is this book. Can I sell it? Can I sell this many kind, you know, this, this many copies. And I think what's, what was missing from that model is 
a lot of the people making those decisions aren't readers or writers, right? So they're business people, right? So they're just looking at, can I, can I squeeze every nickel that I can out of this book or out of this author? And the more that the author can produce, the more money I can make. It became less and less about what that author could, you know, a, a really strong message or a new voice or, you know, a new space. And it was very hard to move into that space. So we're seeing more and more smaller publishing companies that are really excited about the voice, you know, and excited about, you know, of course it's important to sell copies, but it's also important to allow people that wouldn't necessarily jump into the the larger publishing companies. And I think, I think part of it is that people that are coaches and speakers and consultants, a lot of the time they're using that book as their calling card, right? So they may be giving away a number of copies. They may be showing their expertise. They may be having these at, at speaking events. That's not always a great model for a big publishing company, right? Of giving, giving away books, but what it provides for the person that's written the book is okay. So this $5 book that I've produced just, you know, I just landed me a $20,000 consulting job. Now that book wasn't worth $5, it was worth 20,000, but that doesn't do anything for a publishing company because they're not making any money off of that. So there, there was kind of this, I, you know, in the past probably 10 years, there's been more of these kind of business related and, and other small, high, you know, boutique publishing companies, which is kind of what my wife and I wanted to create in order to allow people to have a unique voice you know, out there, but also allow them to be able to leverage that intellectual property, which isn't always possible with the larger publishing companies. They don't want you to create a, a program and a workbook and all these things because they want a piece of all that because they own your intellectual property. So you're not able to do those sorts of things. Your hands are kind of tied. Now they, they might be able to sell a lot of books for about six months in the bookstore, but then they're going to hold on to your intellectual property in, per, in perpetuity which doesn't allow you to really grow what, what it is you want to grow out of that book, you know, create another book, create, like I said, other programs or even breaking that book down to into a program. So that's, that's kind of where, you know, and in working with so many clients, I was helping them do that. Right. So I was like, well, why, why wouldn't I just create a business around that? You know, why wouldn't it only made sense? Cause I was doing it anyway to helping people take that next step which is, okay, now I've written a book. Now what do I do with it, right? You know, how do, I, how do I market it? How do I get the cover? How do I put all this together? Because a lot of people are really great at the thing they're great at, but if they're in, in an area that they're not as familiar with, then it's a learning curve. You know, it's a hit or miss. And publishing industry is kind of merciless when it comes to a book that if it doesn't have the right cover or if the interior doesn't look good, that people are just done with it, right? So it dies on the vine before you even had a chance. So being able to help people do that was kind of Kate's and I, you know, and with with the pandemic, it was perfect timing because she came home and I was like, well, why don't we do this? And so, so far we've been successful. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a work in progress and we're learning a lot of things along the way, but it, it just made sense for us and we're really excited to do it. Thanks, John. What I've noticed is like you had a couple career changes and you created them. Yet mm -hmm. there had to be some fear and scared about being changing careers and going into doing something else. And a lot of people we've talked with and a lot of people that may be listening to this podcast 
they're in a space where they're going like, I don't want to be doing what I'm doing. I want to go do something else. But I got this scared self that's just screaming at me saying, I, I want that paycheck. I, I don't want to take the risk. I want to go out and do that. What, what, what would you share with them about, like, what was the hardest thing for you to do? And what would you share was the, the most fun thing you got to do because you took that chance? I did take that chance. And maybe I was not smart enough to know what a huge risk it was. You know, part of it is, you know, I think that I had to be true to myself and I was miserable. And, and from my perspective, it's like, man, life's too short to be miserable. Not when we have huge, I mean, because of technology and stuff, we're able to do stuff we couldn't do 20, 30 years ago as far as starting new businesses and stuff like that. We don't have to have a brick and mortar place. We can, you know, create something online or we can, you know, uh, be freelancers and being able to connect with people globally. But I think as far as your question about fear, I think a little bit of fear is a good thing, right? So that we're not making unnecessary risks, you know, and I, I probably told you the story, but I'll share it with, with, with the, your, your audience. When I decided that I was going to become a writer full-time, I had written one article for a winemaker magazine, made like $100. I was hooked. I was like, this is great. You know, I open up the magazine. There's my name. There's my picture. There's, you know, this whole spread. And I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, I was just very excited. Now I just had to make the money match the passion. And what I found out was if I had the passion, I could always find a way to make the money. And I think that's that's the fear, which is if I if I take this step, am I going to be making a foolish thing? Now, I, I think having a balance there of practicality, also having that that passion to move into a space, I think there has to be a balance. Now, my wife was that balance for me because when I decided to do it and quit my job, she said, I give you 30 days, you know. And if you don't make this writing thing work in 30 days, you're going to have to go back because you have a family to support. So I was fortunate. Now, I can't say that everybody would have the amount of luck that I did. And maybe it's not luck. Maybe it was just opportunity. Within the first two to three weeks, I had my first book contract. And so I was already making money, you know, up front, you know, and I haven't really looked back or ever regretted making that move. But I think that in everything that I've tried that is new, I have to plan it out a little bit. And I think I think learning from that early thing was just, I didn't have it really planned out. Now, if I start to do things that I'm looking at all the things I need to have in place to do it, I think part of it is what, what financial outlay am I going to have to have in order to get through the next three or four months? You know, if, I, if we do this, what is it going to cost or what is it going to do? So I think having a plan, but eventually you're either going to pull the trigger or not. But I think it's when you have a passion or something in your heart, the money will follow. If you don't have the passion and you're just chasing the, that dollar, then I, I think that's where things fall apart, right? So it's like, I, I want to make money quick. Well, there is no really quick, quick money-making scheme that I know out there other than going into a time machine and figuring out all the things that you should have invested in 30 years ago, right? I mean, other than that, but in the, in practical terms, there has to be some sort of risk. And I think people are some, sometimes risk averse. I think about my childhood and, you know, you talk about stories. So the story in my head was the reason that I didn't become a writer and I did these other things was the message was I had to have 
a full-time job, a nine to five job. I had to have these benefits. I had to have all of these things in order to be a responsible adult. I have found if I could go back in time that not all that was true, right? And, and I think in our economy now, we found out in a pandemic, it for sure isn't true. <laughs> that, you know, any, any of that can change at any time. So I think that it just following, you know, if I had to do it again, I would just follow the passion with the plan. I think those are the two things that I think are, are probably the biggest thing that I've discovered in starting any new venture. And sometimes you just have to take a chance. You know, the story about how I became a journalist was somebody called me, said, can you go cover this this story? Never been a journalist before, but I felt inside me. Then that's the other thing is I had confidence in what I could do and what I couldn't do. Even if I hadn't done it yet, I knew what my capabilities were, right? You know, if somebody said, you know, you're going to have to learn nuclear physics, probably not where I needed to be. But could I write? Could I listen to somebody's story? Could I write it down into a form that I could then pass on into to a newspaper? Yes. I felt like even though I hadn't done that, I could figure out some of the nuance that journalistic writing was, but I had the confidence that I knew what I was capable of. And I think that's the other thing. I don't know how you teach that confidence. Maybe it's just bravado. I don't know. Maybe I just don't have any sense that I just do those things. But when I see an opportunity that matches what I think I can do and I get really excited about it, then I just go for it, right? Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, you know? But I always know that I can't, I have confidence that even if I fail at it, I can pull myself out, right? And I think part of that is the people I've surrounded myself with that will always be there to support me and having those right people there that will not only support me, not only say yay when I'm winning, but they'll also tell me when to pull the plug, which is, John, you've, that's it. You know, you, you, you need to stop or <laughs> reassess what you're doing. And I think that's, that's the important thing is having that is a big, you know, part of that. But I have other friends and stuff I can call and bounce things off of. And I've really worked hard at creating that network for myself because that reduces my risk. Yeah, that's great, John. Yeah. So one of the things, John, that, that I heard through all that is, is what an opportunity Industrial Revolution 5 is. And what I mean by that is here's two people in a beautiful home, right? I'm assuming you work from home. So yes. great, right? You have sure to, it is. <laughs> 20 to 30 steps, right? Gives you a quality or the way that you want to work. And you could compete against some of the biggest players in the industry that have been around for I don't know, publishing companies have been there, what, 50, 100 years? I have no idea, oh, right? Yeah, Forever. And look what you're able to do by just understanding what people want and being able to provide that. Yeah, and providing things that other people aren't providing, right? So when I'm listening to what people want or what people feel like they need, I can look at that and say, yeah, I could, I could help you with that. I can provide that for you. So I think part of it, too, is seeing those gaps, right? in putting myself and positioning myself and listening to people and what they really want, right? Because if somebody says they want to write a book, I'm not saying, well, you know, we're going to sell a million copies of that, make you a New York Times bestseller. I think was one of my first questions is, what do you want to do with that book? How do you, how do you want to leverage that? How is that going to leverage within your business and what you want to do? But sometimes, you know, I've, I've had people that I've talked out of writing a book, which is, I think that, you know, it sounds like you really want to do something else. I don't think writing a book is going to help you get to that to that stage, but that saves them a lot of time and money. And what ends up happening is because I've helped them, 
with that decision, then the next person they meet, they'll send them my way. You know, so they were like, hey, John, you know, John really helped me, even though I didn't write a book with him and I don't know if he's good at it. I made a connection and I think you should talk to him. So I think it's it's just seeing the gaps, you know, and I think that and what people don't realize about the big five is now it's the big four because they're just collapsing into one, you know, one publishing company is buying another and they're just collapsing in because the old model doesn't work in the talk about the industry, the fifth industrial revolution, the old model doesn't work anymore um, just because of people's buying habits and what people are looking for. They're looking for authenticity. They're looking for new voices. And because we live in such a global way, they want to hear voices from, you know, around the world. They don't want to just hear it from their backyard. They want to read the stuff that somebody wrote in Guatemala. You know, I mean, they, they, we just have such great opportunities there to allow new voices to come in. So I think people are looking for a different, a different way of reading and, 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 and what they're looking for in authors. And that's the other thing is authors' platforms are so different than they, they used to be that I tell people it's not so much what you're writing, that people are connecting because they like you, right? So, and that's where all the social media and all those things go in is that they'll buy your book, you know, and that's important, but they also want to know you. They want to connect with you and your message. And so you see a lot of these, even these successful authors that were successful with big publishing companies going into either self-publishing or small publishing, because then they're, they're creating a new platform, which has been much more lucrative than the old model, which is connecting with people directly, right? I don't have to meet them at the store anymore. I can see them online and I can make comments as they're live streaming. We didn't ever have that before as, as authors. We do now. Thanks, John. So you have been through our program, right? And thank you. Like it was fun. It was fun. I got, I got to co-lead with you. It was, it was amazing. What questions do you have for us about our programs, what we're doing, what we're up to? Anything comes to you that you think our leaders or our listeners would be interested in? So, you know, and I think it's a question I've had, which is how do you connect with people? So you so you're meeting a new person. How do you convey your message? Because I had no idea, right? So I went in through the program as a participant first and then as a co-leader. But I had no idea going in what it was, right? So it was a lot of trust. I'm like, yeah, I need to do this. I'm going to be working with Ron. But I think that what I experienced, you know, how do you package that experience for somebody in a way that they that they desire that change in their life? You know, how do you package, you know, how do you get them to understand that it could be life-changing? without them experiencing it. You know, it's like this chicken and the egg issue a little bit, which is how do you get them to see the vision of what they could be going through your program? That Maybe that's the best way I could yeah. iterate that, that question. So I heard two questions and I'll, I'll, I'll state them back. <laughs> Probably six there. But. Maybe more, right? But like, how do I connect with somebody like that? That's a, it's a mm-hmm. fundamental question. Right. And the other one is like, how do you, connect with somebody in a way that they can see a new future for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'll take this, the first one, which is how do you connect with that person? And majority of the work to connect to another person is those stories in your head that you say, well, he looks like that guy I used to know that was a jerk. That's a story in your head. And what he said, I don't like it. That's a story in your head. 
and to clear all those stories out before you get started in building a connection. So you look at them and you create who they are. Now this is sometimes we can do it in like out loud. And like, if you're comfortable with that and you can create it in a space because it's much more powerful, but to create a space inside your own head that you believe in them, you trust them, you're being responsible for all those stories that you're making up. You're being in a place where you're actually creating you to be somebody who could connect. And that's all conversation that in the world looks like this, right? Like that just, nobody sees it, but creating the self and, and creating yourself to be someone who could connect with somebody is the first step. One of the things people learn when they go through our programs is I really kind of connected with myself. Right. Right. And, and, and fundamentally that's where you start, but that's not a space where people have that story in their head before they start. And when I, when we say that to somebody, well, yeah, kind of, we kind of connect with ourselves first. They kind of go, that's weird. I don't, I don't know what that means. What do we do with that? And then they kind of look at the other guy. What, what do you think that means? Right? So it, it is a challenge. We're, we're really opening a space for people to think differently than they thought before. And the stories that they have in their head right now, they don't work. And so there's one way you could say, well, you can acknowledge, well, they don't work, but then how do you get rid of them? But how do you forget something? Because every time you think about it, you, you, you now remember it more. How do you replace that story with a new story? And that's one of the things that we do with people is, is we help them to see that those are stories in their heads and they're not real. They're just a story in your head and you can laugh with them. You can find them fun, funny or fascinating. But the moment you think they're real, it starts to shape and close down possibilities with somebody else. And that, that's, that's how we work on that. It, it is a great question. Like, how do we get people to understand that without actually them going through the program? Uh, I'll, I'll give space for Michelle to add in and if there's anything I missed in that question. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just add in with, with the story, right? Absolutely great way. People have tons of stories in their heads. And the first story I had to come up with for myself was, and we talk about creating ourselves and creating others, was this order just to be at peace with my life, right? right? And to accept me as I am with all the good, the bad, and, and the ugly, as I say, right? And, and I'm doing my best and like all these things about I am enough, which is, which is something that constantly, right, is in the back of my head. And I never really realized what that really did, right? I just thought about myself until one day, I've been, you know, a good friend of mine, and he just, God, you're, you seem to be such at peace and use that same word. And I was like, it, it like knocked me off for a little bit, right? I'm like, what do you mean? And I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, I am. And by the way, that was intentional, right? To know that it took work to get there. Right. It wasn't that one day, like, a, you know, I put a sign up in my room, you are at peace, right? And boom, it's there. No, it took work. But what it did is it opened up the space to have the conversation with that person of what it takes to do that, to change the stories and to work through it. And that's helped him tremendously. It actually helped me, right? Because then as you work with people on things like this, you, I deepen my own understanding as he works through his. But that's a story I tell that where it's really made an impact for me and helped me to make an impact with others is first recognizing in myself, realizing that others then recognize it in you and that opens up the space to help them 
recognize it for that. Thanks, Michelle. The next step is like the one thing that, that I think most people are aware of, but they think there's something wrong with them. And that is they're aware that they have fears. Right. But they think there's something wrong with them that they have fears versus the space where we open up a space for them to think about everybody has fears. So human has fear. Everybody who's a human has fears. There's nothing wrong with you that you have fears. And we find where if you're always trying to hide your fears, build a shield to protect your fears, right? What you end up doing is not being you. You're not being authentic in that space. So the best place we found to open up a world for somebody to say, well, maybe I could try this is to let them know that there's nothing wrong with them, that they're afraid. We're all afraid. Everybody's afraid. Everybody I've met, in fact, the more powerful, successful, peaceful people I've met, they can all talk about their fears. Right. It's not that they don't have them. It's that they talk about them. So the fears don't have them. And that's a, a space and an opening for people to notice what they're being and who they're, what they're doing and how they're being in the world by noticing that it's really okay to be afraid. Keep going. Everybody's afraid. Right. Well, fear, fear has a place in our lives, right? It keeps us safe. It keeps us, you know, I mean, it's in our makeup so that, you know, we can protect ourselves, you know? So it's just when we allow that to dictate our, our life, right? Dictate our choices. Sometimes I talk about my own fear as a third person, you know, like the, you know, the scared John or whatever it is. And I think that helps kind of, you know, accepting because you can't ever remove fear, right? Nor would you want to, right? Because you'd be walking out in traffic without fear. But it's almost like a level of acceptance, like you say, which is, I recognize it's there. I recognize I'm doing this or I'm recognizing this is, you know, as you say, you're, you know, your scared self and just embrace it as this part of who you are, but just understanding and, and breaking it down is, is this, is this a real fear? Is this something I really should be scared of? Or is this just a story I've made up about something that I've, I'm fearing a shadow that I've created myself, right? Which is sometimes yes. what we do, right? We create these shadow figures in our life that are only our own creations. One of the things it's probably less of a question than it is an observation. And you and I have talked about it before, which is by the time we reach adulthood, we have so much baggage that we bring with us and so many other stories that we've taken from our teachers, our parents, society, whatever. But I, I've said from the beginning is creating a program for children. And I say that because of my own child. And this is one of the things I noticed that he does now because he's heard me talk about Macklin method for so long. It's now embedded in his head or he's heard me on calls and things like that. Or even if I'm talking to my wife, she'll, you know, we're both kind of talking that language. So if a, if a situation comes up in which I'm confounded or I, I might be talking to Kate about a client or something going on, what he'll say is, what would Ron say? Only to say is if you start early enough, then you can kind of clear those cobwebs before they ever, you know, that they're ever created. So the earlier that we can, you know, again, I know that's probably long, 
long, but I think there is something about that idea that really connects because he doesn't have all of those other things that we're having to face. He has a different kind, you know, he might fear the dark, but but it's a different thing. It doesn't prevent him from doing things, right? Or making choices because to him, the world is still all about possibilities. So, you know, I think that, you know, if you could ever create a, a children's program in which they could grow, it'd be amazing to see in, in 10, 20, 30 years what that impact would be to that generation because they don't have all that. You know, I think part of, you know, when I was listening, Michelle, about you talk about peace. To me, peace is about letting go, <laughs> you know, so much stuff that's preventing me because peace is there if, we're, if we accept it. But I think a lot of it is the work sometimes is just letting all those other things go that are preventing us from having that, that feeling or that peace, you know, even meditation is letting go. But you imagine if you did, if you had less to let go from the beginning or going through school or going through all these things. So anyway, that's just my, that's, a, that's my unsolicited you know, advice. But I think there is something to that, that children really kind of get that just because they're just having much more pure, authentic way of looking at the world. Thank you, John. It is a part of our plan and the, the space is we'll have to like not be who we really are because we're, we're in a space of we work better with people who are like us because they're, they're going to get it so much faster than we're ready for it. <laughs> That's very true. Right. And so to design a program and a book to go with that, like a story and a program, I do hold that's the future, right? And the sooner we start, we'll never take away fear, but their ability to deal with it, to lead the fear, to lead themselves through the fear and to not feel there's something wrong with them because they're afraid, it's a new world. Right. My son's learned to communicate different, you know, because he'll even say, that's just a story in your head. And I, you know, expressed, you know, that I've been stubbing my toes or hurting myself. And he immediately had, he went right to the source of my issues, right? Because he could see it and he could iterate the story that maybe I was even missing, but he saw it clearly. So it's amazing that, ch- that children have that, that capability. And I think some, in some ways where we bury it with all the expectations of what they should be or what they should do. And I think some of that fear is, again, those shadows of if I don't do this, if I don't do the responsible thing, if I quit my job, if I start a new career, if I build this business, I'm not being a responsible person, right? None of my education is really relevant to what I'm doing now. I guess in a, it is in an indirect way, but I think it all leads me to, you know, what I do and what you do and all those sorts of things. I think, you you know, Ron, you come from a very different past from where you are now, right? Yes. I mean, so you know, you have, you have that story too, but I think it's just interesting that if we, maybe, maybe part of the lesson is if we could start thinking about the world through our eyes of where we were as a child, maybe that can change things too. I accept. Thank you, John. So John, we've kind of reached the end of our, our space here. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners about what what you're doing and where you're at just so that you're nothing, nothing, and I know this is a big, big challenge no, for you. No stone nothing, unturned. Nothing left for John to say. Okay. Well, man, we don't have enough time for that. <laughs> so one of the things I've started to do, and, and I know it's totally unrelated, is I started writing stories and, and fiction. And I think that's part of my what I've always wanted to do. And I started 
writing fiction. And so I'm on the second book of a series for my son that's coming out in October. So I'll, I'll plug that. It's Ma- the first one was Max and the Spice Thieves. The second book is Max and the Isle of Sanctus. And these are middle grade books. But it's interesting that if you read a book, that even if it's fiction, you still get the idea of what that person is. Because I can't make up anything in my head that I don't already know or from my own experience, which is amazing for, for people to think about as an author's where did you come up with that? Well, it's all here, right? <laughs> we can't create some, you know, we're not getting it from, you know, from outer space. So it's still all of those things. And, and, and you know, and the books are still rep- reflections of me, my life, people in my life and things like that. So I've really enjoyed that. This for me, that's my, that's my new creative outlet is, is writing fiction. So you can find, you know, you can find me on Amazon if you'd like a copy of those books. And it's, it's been a really great thing for me to do. You know, it's that next passion. It's that next uh, writing nonfiction is totally different than writing fiction. And so this has been a new journey for me even there, which is, okay, here we go. We're doing something new. You know, I always say, what am I going to be when I grow up? I haven't figured it out yet. And I think that, and, and I say that kind of kiddingly, but in some ways it really keeps things fresh for me. It keeps me looking forward to the next new thing I can jump into and makes life fun. You know, which if it's like, you know, if it's not fun, why do it at this point? So the other thing is if people ever wanted to talk to me about ghostwriting and things like that, you know, they could contact you. You you know my information, but I'm also on LinkedIn. So, you know, and again, I just love, I mean, that's my passion. I sit there, I wake up every day saying, I man, I love the fact that I can do what I want to do, you know, and I can make a living at it. It's not been easy. It's not a direct line. You know, it's ups and downs. But I still am able to do that. I still can say I'm a full-time author. I'm a full-time writer. And that's a, that's a, that's a huge thing for me in my life. And I'm really happy. And, and in some ways, it's really modeling for my child of what he could do when he wants to grow up, you know, when he grows up, which we never, as far as I'm concerned, he's gonna, always going to be a little boy. <laughs> he's going to be like Peter Pan because I can't even think of him growing up. But I think that's modeling too, you know, and that's the other thing that when people are making decisions is what they're modeling for their family. And I think that I, I feel good about that. And part of the writing that book was for him. And he really appreciates that, that I've created a legacy that's going to live beyond me, that I created something for him. So that's that's my plug. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm not a big salesman. You know, people either connect with me through my story or not. You know, I'm not advertising what I do out there. But I think that just connecting to people and talking with people is how I do what I do. Thank you, John. Michelle, anything to wrap up? No, I want to thank you very much, John, for meeting with us today and basically just being you. <laughs> just talking and talking. <laughs> Great. Well, John, thank you for your time today. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Thank you all for listening today. Please take a moment to subscribe to the story in your head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thank you all, and we'll see you next time.